cuando veáis que suceden estas cosas. Conocer que está cerca. A las puertas. Good evening, Waters Church. Good morning, Waters Church. Good afternoon. Whenever you are watching this message, I'm so glad to be able to bring this message to you through the wonders of technology, and I'm excited for today's message. I hope so far in all of our locations you've already felt the presence of God, and if you're here for the first time, it is my prayer that it is not the last time, but that you come on back and make Waters Church your home church and everyone who comes regularly at all locations said, Amen. Amen. Yes. Okay. Tuesday night, this Tuesday, I'm so excited. We have team night at every location. We have team night in North Attleboro, Woonsocket, down here in Florida and Apollo Beach. And we want you to be there. 6 p.m., there's food and a chance to meet some great new people. And then we're going to take and separate you out and train you on how to run cameras, to help minister to kids and teens, maybe to mix up one of our amazing coffee, drinks, uh, or greet, park. Believe it or not, there's a skill. There's a method to our madness. We want you there. There is nothing better in life and to serve the purposes of God. And if you're looking for a way to get to know people at Waters Church, can I tell you that this is the best way possible. You will start putting yourself in a place where you're shoulder to shoulder with some of the best people on the planet, the serve team members of Waters Church. Can I get a good amen from everybody out there? Amen, amen, amen. We thank God for our serve team members, and we want you to be a part of it. Okay, speaking of serving... Let's get into this message series for the second to last time, two more weekends, and we're going to talk about last days. So last days, part four, here's the message, good and faithful, good and faithful. And we're in Matthew 25, and I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25. Make sure that you bring a paper Bible to church. Come on, somebody. You need to have a paper Bible in your hand. Mark it up, underline, circle, highlight because a worn-out Bible is in the hands of a life that's not worn out. Amen, amen, amen. And then if you don't have the paper notes, or if you're watching this online, get to waterschurch.guide, because all the notes are there under the tab called uh, Today's Message. So you can take notes digitally, but we also give you notes in-house on the half piece of paper. Let's get into this. Let's remind ourselves of Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is on the heels of Matthew 24. And Matthew 24, when it comes to the last days, gets all the headlines. Because in Matthew 24, Jesus talks about what? He talks about earthquakes. He talks about famines, pestilence. He talks about the, the disasters that are going to come upon the world. He talks about how nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And he talks about that there will be two women grinding grain, one taken, one left. There will be two men out in the field, one taken, one left. Two in a bed, one taken, one left. And those are exciting, if not kind of alarming texts. They're, they get the headlines, they get our attention, they're all about what to look for, and I believe there's a two-part interpretation of that prophecy in Matthew 24. There is the immediate interpretation, which happened already in A.D. 70 when the Romans came in and sacked the city of Jerusalem, and we talked about it in part one. But there's also the ultimate fulfillment of Matthew 24, which is when Jesus returns for the last time and establishes his kingdom on this earth. And we are waiting for that time, and we want to be ready for that time, and we talked about that last time. But here's, here's what Matthew 25 says right at the beginning. And I, I mentioned this last week. I just want to remind you this week. The very first line, the very first word in Matthew 25 is what? Then the kingdom of heaven will be like. Because here's what Jesus is saying. There's wars, rumors of wars. There's tribulation. There's trouble. There's nation against nation and all these kind of things. Then, in the midst of all of that, the kingdom of heaven will look like this. And so last week we talked about this. What does a last day's church look like? We talked last week about the idea. Answer number one last week was a last church looks ready. But here's today's message. And I want you to write this down in your notes. What does a last, church, last day's church look like? Number, answer number two, faithful. Faithful. Somebody say faithful. faithful. Yeah, faithful. Okay. 
I don't want you to miss what Jesus talks about here. Because he is unpacking in three stories in Matthew 25, three separations. Three stories in Matthew 25, three separations. The first one last week, ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. And at the end, they were, what? Separated. And now he's going to talk about three servants. Two got busy and were faithful. One got fearful and was paused, was, was stalled out in life. And those two were separated from the one. And then next week, the, the sheep are separated from the goats. So what you're going to see, Jesus says, in the last days, is you're going to see um, that not everyone in the church is actually part of the church. Not everyone that comes to your small C church building is part of God's big C church body. And what you have to understand about Matthew's gospel is that Matthew is constantly showing us that Jesus is constantly separating. He's constantly separating the frauds from the faithful. In fact, you can go through the book of Matthew. He talks about good soil and three bad soils. He talks about houses built on sand. Not Matthew, Jesus talks about this. Houses built on sand and houses built on the rock. He talks about the narrow gate and the what? And the wide gate. He, he talks about the wheat and the tares. Matthew 13. Last week, the parable of the virgins. This week, the parable of the servants. And here's what the question is for us today. Are we part of the faithful or are we part of the frauds? Are we part of the faithful or are we part of the frauds? I, I was thinking about a story about a man who got promoted to CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And he really got this job through some kind of just almost luck. And he didn't feel like he was really, you know, the, the, he really deserved it. So, so he had to kind of like fake that he was really, he belonged there. So first day in the office, he gets in the office and he sits behind his desk and he feels overwhelmed by the responsibility and the opportunity. And a man... Uh, knocks on the door, and he wants to look busy right from the get-go. He wants to look like he's ready to go. And so he quickly picks up the phone, and he starts talking, and he fakes the phone call. Yes, Mr. President. Right away, Mr. President. Our company, and the man comes through the door as he's saying, yes, right away, Mr. President. I will be on that immediately. I look forward to seeing you at the next budgetary meeting at the White House. Thank you. Yes, good day, Mr. President. Hangs out the phone. And he says, yes, what can I do for you? And the man who came through the door said, I'm just here to hook up your office phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's called being a fraud. That's called faking it. Here's what God wants. He wants us to be real. He wants us to be real in the church. He does not share these parables to scare us. He shares these parables to prepare us. And every good Christian, listen to me very carefully, every good Christian is doing the necessary work to check their heart to make sure that they are in the faith. In fact, it says that in 1 Corinthians. Test yourselves, examine yourselves to see you are in the faith. In fact, the whole book of the New Testament, the whole collection of books in the New Testament is really a call for us to say, am I really in this or am I just dangling on? Okay, let's get into the text. Would you stand with me at all locations, Matthew 25? Standing with me for the reading of God's word, here's what it says in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Each according to his ability. And then it says this, he left. He went away. He who had received five went at once and traded with them. And he made five more. So also the one who had two made two more. But the one who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward and said, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five more. And his master replied, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master's happiness. It says this in verse 22. And he who had the two came forward and said, Master, you're, you delivered to me two talents, and here they have made two more. I have made two more. His master said to him as well, Well done. And the title of my message, right? Good and faithful servant. Enter. You have been faithful with little. I will trust you with much. Enter into your master's happiness. 
He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I have not scattered seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine and some interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. Listen to that line again. For to everyone who has, more will be given. But him who thinks he has, even what he has will be taken from him. And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear your voice. We know, Lord, that these words are not uh, the words of a man, but these words are inspired by the, vo- by, by the Holy Spirit. We ask that I will do the very best job that I can making these words clear to your people. May these words inspire us to love you, follow you, serve you, and may they help us to see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. So last week, what does the last church, last day's church look like? It looks ready, ready for Jesus' return. And I asked you that question last week. Are you ready? But this week I'm asking you this question. Are you faithful? And I believe that Jesus teaches us these two stories back to back in Matthew 25 because they have everything to do with each other. Faithfulness has everything to do with readiness. What I'm trying to say is that there's more to being ready than just showing up, than just being aware that Jesus is coming again. He doesn't want you just aware. He doesn't just want you awake to the fact that at any moment Jesus could come back. He wants you active in the mission. What I'm trying to tell you is that being ready is not passivity. It's not just going to church and just thanking God that you can go and just leaving. No, no. There's activity to be had in your life. How many of you like going to the dentist. Exactly, no one. I hate going to the dentist. And I hate going because I know that every time I go, I go every six months, and that's wonderful, yep, good for me, but every six months I go and I know that I'm in for a question I'm not ready for. What's the question? What do you think it is? (laughs) Here's the question. Have you been flossing daily. I am, can I tell you, honestly, never ready for that question. Now, I, I brush daily. I do because, you know, brushing doesn't take that much work. It's a stick. You stick it in your mouth. You're done. Okay. Uh, well, you do more than stick it in your mouth. You know what I'm saying. Anyway, <laughs> flossing, you got to take the, you, you got to take the floss out. You got to cut it. It always shears on me. It always frays. And then, you know, you got to wrap it around your finger. You gotta go, uh, uh. It takes energy, it takes effort, it's exhausting. And here's what happens with me. I leave the dentist every six months, and I go two straight weeks flossing daily, and then I give up. Anybody with me on that? (laughs) And I get back to the dentist six months later, and I have to do the whole rigmarole, the whole routine again. Do Do you brush daily? Yes, sir, I do. Do you floss daily? No, sir, I don't. Like, that's that's my life. Here's what I'm trying to say is there's a difference between being at the dentist and being ready for the dentist. There's a difference between being at church and being ready to be at church. There's a difference between believing in Jesus and being ready. At the end of Matthew 24, Jesus talks about the servants 
He says, there's one who thinks, oh, my master is taking a long time, and he begins to beat the other servants, and he begins to take advantage of his opportunity. And then there's one who's ready to receive his master, and, and Jesus says, the one who's ready, who has done his job well. And I love the passage because it says, blessed is the one whom the master finds working when he comes back. I, I've just, I've adopted that text as my theme text lately. Like, Lord, there's going to be trials in my life, but I want to be found working. There's going to be up opposition in my life, but I want to be found working. There's going to be people who question me and doubt me and criticize me and hate me, but I want to be found working. I mean, am I talking to anybody in this room today who knows that it doesn't matter what other people say about you? It doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter what the world does around you. It matters that the fact that God, God's word is inside of you and God's, God's son is for you and God's purposes are ready for you to walk in and you've got to do what God has called you to do and not worry about what everybody else thinks. Amen. I mean, that's where I am in my life. It's like, you know, you get to a certain stage where you just don't give a rip anymore about what other people think. You just want to please Jesus. And I think that that, my friend, is the ultimate sign of spiritual growth. You don't care anymore about what others are doing around you. You just want to serve Jesus. And I'll tell you something. Nothing is more liberating than that. Nothing is more freeing than that. But here's what I want to unpack for us, this idea of faithfulness. You see, we've got this wrong assumption about faithfulness, that faithfulness means that I just keep believing. No, no, that's, that's only part of it. Faithfulness means that I keep working, that I keep active, that I keep myself spiritually flossed, hallelujah, <laughs> for when Jesus comes again. And again, Jesus does not share these stories about what the church is going to look like at the end time to scare us, but to prepare us. So let's talk about faithfulness. Three points and then we're done. Number one, faithfulness, write this down. Faithfulness understands I am God's servant, I'm entrusted, and I'm empowered. Write it down. Faithfulness understands I am God's servant, I am entrusted, I am empowered. And that's the first thing I saw on this text that just jumped out to me. Because the man was going away, the man represents God, and he leaves his property, right? Here's what it says in verse 14, let's read it again. For it will be like a man, this is it. What, what, what will be like a man? The kingdom, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. This is an amazing passage right there because there's this big quest in our country, big quest in our world about people finding their identity. And I don't know if you're watching what I'm watching, but it's getting crazy with the people and identity. Everybody has a different identity. Everybody wants to go their identity, their gender, their, their you know, self-image, their uh, sexuality. And the reason why, this is, this is a simple answer. The reason why it's getting so crazy is because people are completely cut off from God, who is truth. And so when you are not tethered to truth, you will fall for lies and deception. And this quest for identity, unfortunately, seeps into the church. But let me, let, let me just say something to you, church. We don't have to ask what's our identity. Amen. We never do. Amen. Because God has unpacked it for us in his word. Jesus has let us know fully who we are. And here's the first thing that every Christian should embrace as their primary identity. I'm a servant. I'm a servant. You know, when you read the Bible, the New Testament... Everyone who was close to Jesus had no problem calling themselves servants. I think about how they write their letters. Most of the New Testament is letters from those who walked with Jesus to those who would follow Jesus. And it's amazing how often the people who were closest to Jesus loved to embrace the identity of servant. I give you James, the brother of Jesus, who opens his letter to the church he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think of Paul the Apostle, who served the Lord so faithfully. Almost every letter opens up like Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to the saints who are in Philippi. Or Romans chapter 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. We don't have to ask what our identity is. We are told, we are given clear evidence that to be close to Jesus is to embrace the idea that I am a servant. Man, do we get this wrong in the church? Because there is a lot of Christians who believe that the longer I serve, the longer I'm in church, the more recognition, notoriety, and higher status I should receive. People get a kick out of the fact that I say, you don't have to call me Pastor Tim. Just call me Tim. I'm just a man. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. My pastor is my fun- pastoring is my function. It does not have to be my name. I don't have to broadcast all of my accomplishments to you. Always be leery, my friend, of Christians who immediately have to hand you their spiritual resume with talking about how big their ministry was and how great their teaching was and how long they've been a Christian. I mean, always be careful because my Bible tells me that the closer we get to God, the more we embrace the servant nature of Jesus you're a servant. You know, I was uh, researching why people go to church today. Pew Research has this study, recent study. Uh, the study was the top 10 reasons why people will go to a church. Let me give you the reasons. Top of the list, to become closer to God. 81% of people said to become closer to God. Number two, so their children will have a moral foundation. 68% said that. Number three, to become a better person, about 70%. 68% said that. Number four, comfort in times of trouble. Number five, to, uh, they want to have the sermons teach them something. Number six, to be part of a faith community. Seven, to continue their faith, family's religious tradition. Number eight, they feel obligated to go. Only 31% said that. Number nine, to meet new people or socialize. About 19% of people say that. Number 10, to please their family, their spouse, or their partner. About 16% of people said that. And I read that list. Those are the top 10. Does anybody see something missing in the list? Where is the, 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 the reason to going to church be, I want to serve others with what God has given me? Where is that? On It's not on the list. Do you know why? Because unfortunately, Americans are more often like their secular, American Christians are more often like their secular counterparts than Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give his, my life as a ransom for many. He said to the disciples, I have washed your feet. I have shown you that this is what we're all about. We're all about serving each other. So what I've done for you, do likewise and serve one another. He said, the greatest among you will be a servant of all. Instead of obsessing, young people, about your identity according to the world standard, measure your identity by Christ's standard and ask yourself, am I growing more and more into a servant of God, looking to serve others with the gift God gives me, or am I more interested in being praised and congratulated for the things in my life? You're, you're, you're a servant. Secondly, you're entrusted. Back to the, the point, right? Entrusted. It says that he entrusted his property to them. Here's what that's saying. Everything you've got is from God. And God has chosen to give you what you've got. And that's not to be taken lightly. Do you have health today? God gave you that. Do you've got money in a bank account somewhere? God gave you that. Do you have abilities, some kind of ability? You don't have to be an astrophysicist, but do you have abilities? God gave you that. I mean, think about the things that you've got. And this is what you've got to look at in your life. That's from God. He gave that to me. And then I'm empowered, right? That's the third part of this point. I'm empowered. He gave them according to their ability. According to their ability, verse 15. So so here's 
what, what, what the scripture is teaching is that you've got what you've got because God knows that that's what you can handle. Some of you got to get this in your spirit because you're constantly thinking about, I need that to be happy. I need that to be happy. I need to get to this point to be happy. And, and here's what God's word is. It's, it might not sound nice. It might not sound pretty, but it's necessary. Maybe you're not ready for that. Maybe if you got that, it would crush you. Maybe that weight of expectation would demolish you. And so what God is doing right now with what he's given you, maybe the little bit that he's given you right now is he's starting to train your muscles, your spiritual muscles, your mental muscles, your emotional muscles, so that, so that you can start to grow and get stronger for later responsibility. I love the... the I love David. David is one of my favorites in the Bible because David, man, he was a good man, a man after God's own heart, but he also blew it. And you watch his whole life unfold. And how many of us can relate to David? Because, you know, we, we love the Lord, but we blow it sometimes. And, and David blew it. But at the end of his life, he was filthy rich, filthy rich. And he set up Solomon, his son, to build the temple um, after he was gone. And so he got, gathered all of his money and he poured all of his money into the temple project. And it says this in 1 Chronicles 29.2. David says, I have provided for the house of my God as far as I was able, the gold for the gold things, silver for the things of silver, bronze for the things of bronze. And, it, and he just goes on. And he talks about all the money, all the goods, all the resources that David, this filthy, rich king, gave to the temple project. And you think, David, man, all right, you're bragging about all you're giving. But, but no, 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 no. Look what he says in verse 16 of that same chapter. It says, oh, Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name, it comes from your hand. And it's all yours. Like, like, and he'll say it later. He'll say, because that's all we've got. Everything we've got comes from God. And I think about it. Man, you want God to use you? You want God to bless you? Do you want God to anoint and succeed your gifts? Start identifying them for what they are. His. They come from Him. It's a test. It's an opportunity. It's, it's a grace of God for you to use what He's given you. And then, and then live with this in the back of your mind. That one day... God will judge how you used your gifts. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In other words, some of you got to get this right now in your spirit. I am being tested with what God has given me in this moment. And there's good news for that. And we'll get to that later in the message. There's good news for why you're being tested right now. Later in the message. But first, let's get busy using what God's given us, okay? Here's point number two. I want you to write it down. Point number two. Faithfulness focuses on my call, not comparison. Faithfulness focuses on my call, not comparison. Now, now what I mean by that is to dig into verse 15. Because verse 15 says, To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, and to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. Now, ladies and gentlemen, God is not a socialist or communist. <laughs> he just isn't. My friends, I have bad news for everyone who's under the age of 25. <laughs> no, God does not practice equality for all in all things. It just, no, it's not in the Bible. Peter had his opportunities. John had his opportunities. David had his opportunities. Uh, uh, you know, Jotham had his opportunities. Samson had his opportunities. And they're all different. And they're all different. And, the, and listen, <laughs> I say this because the sooner that you can get over obsessing about what everybody else has, the faster you can get busy with what you have. I'm telling you, stop wasting your time worrying about five-talent people if you're a two-talent servant. And stop worrying about two-talent people if you're a one-talent servant. Just be grateful. By the way, a talent was an exceedingly big sum of money. Don't think that this is ability. The word in Greek is talenton, talenton. It's a money amount. It's not about ability. But, a lot, you know, ability, money can produce ability. Anyway, 
Look at the first two servants. Verse 16. He who received the five went at once. Now, if you've got your paper notes out, can you just circle went at once? He didn't waste time. He just went. He went at once, and he traded with them. And he got busy, and he earned five more. And also, verse 17, the, the one with two made two more. But the first that I get troubled by is verse uh, 23. I'm sorry, no. Uh, verse 18. He who had received the one talent went and dug a hole and buried his master's money. Now, now, when the two come back to the master, the master comes back and they come to him to settle accounts, both men received the same commendation. Verse 23, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful. You've been faithful over little. I will entrust you with much. And I think about that. They got five talents, which in God's economy was not that much. In our economy, a talent, uh, I read this in one of my commentaries, if you adjust for inflation, it's about one talent is about $1.9 million. I mean, think about that. One talent, 1.9. So one of these guys has almost $20 million. And God's word to him is, you've been faithful with little. Look, we look at 20 million people, $20 million people, we think, wow, look at all that money. But can I tell you that in the economy of God, it's nothing. God freely scatters his gifts. And, and I think about, what's the difference between the five-town guy and the two-town guy and the one-town guy? Because the five and the two go and get busy and, and double it. And the one-town guy, you know what his problem was? I think, I think his problem was that he was so busy comparing himself to the five-talent and two-talent guy that he just got paused, he got stalled out. He got, he got, he got um, insecure and unsure of himself. How many young people right now, I'm talking to you right now, you're in college, you're so insecure and, and you're unsure or you just recently graduated. You said, what am I going to do with my life? I don't know. Do I even belong? It looks like everybody else around me is, is ahead of me. But listen, if you just got out of college, I'm writing about this in my new book, uh, that um, life is like college because you come into life like a freshman, knowing nothing and getting beat up by everybody. Then you become a sophomore. Eventually you figure out how to avoid the fights and, and you know, avoid the places where people are going to beat you up. Then you become a junior, start to figure out things. You start to own the place. Then you're a senior, you're like, all right, I'm ready to go. Well, that's life. Life is like that. And so some of you, you just graduated college. Can I tell you something? You're a freshman in the school of life. And so you're going to get knocked around a little bit. You start learning how to be a sophomore over time. It takes about five to ten years. It does, because I was there. Okay, it takes five to ten years to figure out, okay, don't go down that hall because the seniors are waiting to beat me up. Like, you need to learn like, those skills. You need to learn how to avoid the fighting areas. Then you become a junior, like, wait a second, no, I'm, I'm the guy who, who could beat a couple people up, all right? But if you're a Christian, you don't do that. You use your, you use your ability for good. And then when you're a senior, you're like, I think I'm ready to go. The Lord can take me now. Like, you know, that's life. That's life. It's a picture. Life is like a long college experience. So if you're a freshman, stop freaking out about all the, what all the juniors and seniors have. You know, you, you, you got to get busy where you are, where you are. And here's, the, here's what I know about the Bible. Here's what I know about God. He doesn't need much to do great things through you. I think about Moses showing up at the burning bush. And Moses has all the excuses why God cannot use him. You, you just serve somebody. Send somebody else. Lord, I'm not able. I can't speak. I don't got the gifts. And at one point in Exodus chapter 4, Moses says, well, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't listen to my voice? You can just see, he's just a total freshman. And the guy, sad thing is, he's 80 years old and he's got a freshman mindset. He's 80 years old at this moment. He's thinking, oh, I can't, I can't. I mean, <laughs> somebody has never grown. And God says to him, what is that in your hand? And the answer is what? A staff, a stick, a stick. The guy says, I'll take that stick and I'll deliver my people through that stick. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. It matters what you do with it. And I think about this guy burying his talent in the ground. Burying it. How many Christians are burying what God gives them? Because they're so obsessed with comparing what God gives them to what God has given others. And, and here's the thing. Uh, this little device, which I know, I just encouraged you to open and use to get to the notes. <laughs> but, but bear with me for a moment. You have endless opportunities through social media to measure through this little lens, this little mirror, this little window. It's a window. To measure through this window 
every other person on the planet against yourself. You know, you, we wonder why kids are more depressed, more lonely, more isolated than ever before. Because they're paused. They're paused by spectating and people watching. You, you got to turn it off. You got to get busy with your life. And here's the thing. Everyone's Instagram feed and Twitter feed and all that kind of stuff. You understand that they're just posting their highlights. They're just posting their, their great moments. They're not posting the, 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 the time they overslapped and got to the office late. They're not posting the fight that they just had with their 10-year-old kid. They're not posting the fact that the boss just reprimanded them over some miserable failure at the office. No. So stop comparing your private, regular moments to someone else's highlights. You got to stop it. You got to grow past that or you'll bury yourself. You'll bury yourself in the ground of other people's gain. Here's a pro-life tip. Every once in a while I like to throw these out in the message. There's always someone who's better than you and more gifted than you. Get busy anyway. Amen? Come on, that, that deserves a good amen. Can I get a good amen? Yeah. There's always going to be someone with more money than you. Always there's going to be better looking than you. Someone that's, you know, got more talent than you, sing better than you, work harder than you. I mean, get busy. Well, if they work harder than you, then they probably should have more than you, <laughs> to be honest with you. But, but look, here, here's my point. Don't obsess about where you are in the hierarchy. And I thought, let's do some math for a moment. Guy with five talents, right? That's, that's big, five talents. Second guy got two talents. He, li, listen to the second guy. The second guy in this story, he, I, I, like, I want to be him. Because five and two, two and five. Two, did you know, two is less than half of five. It's actually 40% of five. The third guy got one. One compared to two. One compared to two. One is 50% less than two. Now, I know that one is 80% less than five. I understand that. But he's closer to the two-talent guy. And he has only 50% less than his closest associate. But this guy, number two guy, two-talent guy, he's got only 40% of the guy next to him. And he doesn't let the fact that he has proportionately less than one-town guy to him stop him from moving. Is that clear? Did I make that clear? I'm sorry, it's math, I get it, but you don't understand. What I'm trying to tell you is, he just got moving. He just got moving, even though in comparison to the closest guy next to him, he was at 40%. You know what he did? He put the phone down. He said, enough is enough. I'm tired of Instagram. Let me get busy. Let me get active. I love what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 says. Paul says this. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Hearkening back to those ten virgins. And then he says this in verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Somebody say because. You know, I used to read this text and I used to say, oh, I know what that, that text in Ephesians 5 means. That means take you know, be careful. Because he says it right there. Look carefully. Look, look, but, but it's not being careful. It, it, the word in Greek could be translated, be, um, be uh, strategic. You know, there, there's a difference between being careful and strategic. The, another translation is look circumspectfully. Like look at the whole picture before you just jump into something. Like be careful. Like that's what he's talking about. And then this line, making the best use of the time. Other translations say taking the most of every opportunity. And then this word that I just had you say, because the days are evil. Now, I used to read this text so wrong because I used to think this text is saying, well, because the days are evil, be careful. Because the days are evil, don't do anything. Because the days are evil, play it safe. That's not what he's saying. Because he just unpacked in Ephesians 1 to 3 all the ways in which we're blessed and empowered and full of God and filled with Jesus and we're the head and not the tail and we're blessed with every spiritual blessing and if God is for us, I mean, who could be against us? And here's what he's saying. Look, the world is full of evil, so get busy with your opportunities because you are God's people. You are God's ambassadors. 
2 uh, Corinthians chapter 5, ambassadors for Christ. You are the light of the world and the salt of the earth, Matthew chapter 5. You are a royal priesthood, 2 Peter chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. You are a citizen of heaven, Philippians chapter 3. You are servants of the most high God, Matthew chapter 25. What Paul is saying there is, no, not play it safe. If anyone didn't play it safe, it was Paul the apostle. I mean, he took risks constantly. It's yes, the darkness is there. Yes, the evil is there. Yes, the danger is there. But Jesus Christ is on the throne and he loves you. And he gave his life for you. And he shed his blood for you. And you in that vein should have every stitch of confidence that you need to take that chance, to take that opportunity and grow. Write this down. God's economy operates in the realm of opportunity, not obligation. There's, a, there's one thing that I think we got to get over. And it's this idea that what I've got to do is something that I have to do. No, you get to do it. You get to do it. So, you know me, um, some of you know me long enough to know, remember when I used to hate dogs? How many remember when I used to hate dogs? I hated dogs. I used to say, dogs should be able to run free and eat cats. Like, that's, that's their calling. That's what God you know, made them to do. But then I got dogs. I got a couple of puppies. I got them, my, both of my dogs I got as puppies. Um, they're both boxer dogs. And boxer dogs are high-energy dogs. They need a lot of exercise. Here's how it goes in my morning. I wake up to the lick, 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 lick of two boxer dogs on my face. And if they can't get in the bedroom, they'll just bark outside the bedroom. And they just, Dad, it's time to go for a walk. I mean, that's their biggest desire in the morning. And they don't let me sleep past 7 a.m., even on my day off. And I'm up, 7 a.m., getting my cappuccino at my little coffee station while they're sitting there just, you know, pacing back and forth. we got to go for a walk. Is he going to take us for a walk? I don't know if he's going to go for a walk. Are you going to go for a walk, Dad? Do we need to lick you on the face again? I mean, it's this big mess. <laughs> and, and, and I have to do it. And you know, some days I'm just like, I don't want to do it. I have to take these stupid dogs for a walk. But then I think about the fact that every time I take my dogs for a walk, I'm getting exercise. It's menial. It's, you know, I'm picking up their poop. I, I look ridiculous. I can't believe this is my life now. But but at the same time, I'm getting a good mile to a mile and a half walk in first thing in the morning. I'm getting my blood flowing. I'm, my mind starts to think. Some of my best ideas about what I'm going to preach or say on my YouTube channel, they, it comes when I'm walking the dogs because exercise is good. And I think about the miles that I've walked because I got these dogs. Now, I have a choice. I can look at those dogs as an obligation or an opportunity, an obligation to walk them or an opportunity to get exercise. And you have that choice with everything you're facing right now. What are your dogs? What are your dogs? What are you looking at right now and you say, oh, man, I hate doing this. Wait, 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 wait. What if you, th you said, this is an opportunity to be faithful. This is an opportunity to see God use me. And I know what you're saying now. I can almost hear it in your voice. Some of you are saying, you don't know what job I have, pastor. Okay, let me just give you a list. Here's the first jobs of famous people. I looked this up just before I got up here. First jobs for famous people. Tom Cruise was a hotel bellhop. Demi Moore was a debt collector. Denzel Washington worked at a barber shop. Warren Buffett delivered newspapers. Oprah Winfrey worked as a grocery store clerk. Jeff Bezos flipped burgers at McDonald's. Now he owns Amazon. Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, sold vacuums door to door. And Elon Musk was a janitor of a boiler room at a lumber mill. He wasn't even a janitor of the lumber room. He was a janitor of the boiler room. Look, what I'm trying to tell you is, it's not about where you are. It's about what's going on in your heart about where you are. And there's verse 24. Let's continue with the text. He also had received the one town came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. I was afraid. I went, I hid your ground. Here's what you, what's yours. And I thought about, it. look at how he, he blames his idea of the master on why he, got, he didn't get busy. I want you to write this down. Fact. Wrong thoughts about God can be more destructive than, to faith than not believing in God. 
Like, if you don't see God for what he truly is, it will stall out your life. It will pause you in your purpose. I, you're a hard man, he says. You, you gather where you didn't sow. Wait a second. He just gave you $1.9 million. You're telling me he doesn't sow? You, you're telling me he doesn't gather, he gathers where he doesn't sow? He just sowed into you. So often that's so many people, though. You look at your life and say, oh, God hasn't given me. God hasn't given me. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. And over the course of your life, even if you make, you know, moderate income, over the course of your life, it could add up to millions of dollars. Life is an opportunity, not an obligation. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And point number three. Point number three. Faithfulness believes God blesses those who make the most out of their opportunity. So you don't just got to take the opportunity God gives. You got to believe that God is going to bless you in, you in it. He's going to bless you as you get active. You don't just sit at the dentist's office and wait for the bad news. No, you get busy flossing. Here's what it says in verse 21. His master said to him, to the two servants, good, well done, good and faithful sir. You've been faithful over little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And here's the final thoughts that I just had about how, how God longs to bless you as you are faithful in your opportunity. And, and I love that this parable comes on the heels of Matthew 24. Because after Jesus is talking about all the end times realities and the blood and the guts and the, and the gore and all that kind of stuff, he's saying, but in that midst of all that nonsense, in that midst of all the craziness in the world, I'm looking for a church filled with people who will get active. I, don't you love the fact that Jesus doesn't say, I'm looking for a church that obsesses about naming the date of my return. No. Or he doesn't say, I'm looking for a church where they're arguing and bickering about millennialism. Or I'm looking for a church that argues and bickles about, bickers about when the rapture happens. No, I'm looking for a church, Jesus says, where people are going to put to work what I give them. Can I challenge you, Waters Church? And some of you are new, and I like to say what Martin Luther says, that a man has three conversions. A man or a woman has three conversions. First is the conversion of the mind where you start to think, yes, Jesus could be God. Then there's the conversion of the heart where you believe that he is your savior. But then there's a third conversion and it's the conversion of the wallet. The wallet. <laughs> where you believe that God can save you from hell but you don't believe him enough to give him your money. Which makes no sense to me. This, make no mistake, this is a story about how we manage God's money. Talenton in the Greek. It's the amount of money. And money, again, yields opportunities. Some of you are missing out on the blessing of God because you refuse to trust him with your money. Everybody loves Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Everybody loves that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Isn't that a wonderful text? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Oh, what a wonderful promise. But friends, just skip down three more verses, and here's where that rubber hits the road in trusting the Lord with all your heart. Honor the Lord with your wealth, verse 9, and with the first fruits of your produce. What is that talking about? That's talking about giving God the first of your income. I practice something called the tithe. This church practices something called the tithe. That's taking the first tenth of what God gives you, and you bring it to the house of God, and you say, here, preach the gospel with this money. That's what we ask you to do. We ask you to help us preach the gospel by bringing your tithes and offerings into the house, and you say, God, this is not my money. This is your money. And to show you that my heart is not attached to the money but to you, I'm giving you the first tenth because that's what God has. That's what tithe means. Tithe means tenth. And the, and the Scripture says that if you do that, verse 10, it says this, then... Circle the word then. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. In other words, there's a blessing on the other side of that testing when it comes to faithfulness with God's talents. There's a blessing on the other side of that testing when it comes to faithfulness with God's talents. Are you giving God your first? Are you giving God your increase. Are you, are you saying to God, this job is from you. This family is yours. My children are yours. So Father, I need a blessing. I need a covering over my income. Here's the first tenth. And I do this every single time I get paid. The very first tenth, right back to Waters Church. Right back to this church. I'm challenging you. Some of you are new to church. And I get it. And right now you're like, that's crazy. But we've got 
tons of people at all of our locations that have done this for years. And they believe it because they have seen not just that is in the Word of God, but it actually works in life. God is faithful to bless those who are faithful with what He's blessed them with. I want to challenge you to do it. I want to challenge you to take that step of faith and believe God blesses those who make the most of their opportunity. Here's a sermon in a sentence. Faithfulness is not passivity. It's activity in the opportunities God gives me for which he will reward me. That's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is not sitting in the dentist chair one more time and having to say, ah, I haven't been doing anything. But at least I came. At least I showed up. No, 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 no. That's any, any schmuck can do that. God is looking for a faithful church. And the great separation of the end will be between those who put to work what God gave them and those who dug a hole and hid it because they compared themselves to others or they didn't believe God was generous or they had the wrong thoughts about God or they just refused to act on what they knew. Don't be that person. Get active and get rewarded because God is in the business of blessing. Stand with me at all locations. Stand with me, stand with me, stand with me. And would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to give you a chance right now to yield your life to Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about just acknowledging that he lived and died. I'm talking about making him your Savior and Lord. If you do that, he forgives you of your sins. He gives you a home in heaven. And he gives you a purpose for living. And he'll never leave you. And he'll never forsake you. But you have to say yes to that. So right where you are, I want to give you a chance, with every head bowed and every eye closed, to say yes to Jesus. And if that's you this morning, would you say this prayer after me? Say it from your heart. You can say it quietly, but say it from your heart. Say these words. Say, Heavenly Father, today I repent of my sin, and I turn to you. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin through Jesus Christ, your Son. Today, I declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name.